Welcome to the Awesomers.com podcast. If you love to learn, and if you're motivated to expand your mind, and heck, if you desire to break through those traditional paradigms and find your own version of success, you are in the right place. Awesomers around the world are on a journey to improve their lives and the lives of those around them. We believe in paying it forward, and we fundamentally try to live up to the great Zig Ziglar quote, where he said, you can have everything in your life you want if you help enough other people get what they want. It doesn't matter where you came from, it only matters where you're going. My name is Steve Simonson, and I hope you will join me on this awesomer journey. If you're launching a new product manufactured in China, you will need professional, high-resolution, Amazon-ready photographs. Because Simo Global has a team of professionals in China, you will oftentimes receive your listings photographs before your product even leaves the country. This streamlined process will save you the time, money, and energy needed to concentrate on marketing and other creative content strategies before your item is in stock and ready for sale. Visit simoglobal.com to learn more, because a picture should be worth 1,000 keywords. You're listening to the Awesomers Podcast. You are listening to episode number 61 of the Awesomers.com podcast series. Now, what does that mean? That means you can go to Awesomers.com slash 61 to find any of the show notes and details related to today's episode. Now, today my special guest is Odakara Kletke. And she, as a young child, was very sickly, so much so that she couldn't even carry her own books to school. Now... She wrote a book called Hear Your Body Whisper, where she shares how she basically said no to the limitations of her own health problems, left doctors in the dust, and starting living, started to live her own life to the fullest. Currently, she lives on a ranch with her husband and daughter in beautiful Cascade Mountain Range in Oregon, raising lots and lots of pets, we're going to talk about that for sure, and taking every chance possible to go on road trips with her homeschooled daughter. Now, how'd she do it? She basically, you know, said no, and she was she escaped that special diet, constant visits to the doctors, surgeries, hospital stays, and she went on to become a fitness trainer, adventurer, and even a TV reporter, all while keeping her body in top shape since growing up. So this is a really transformative story, and I'm glad that you guys are here to join us, and I know that you're going to take something away from Odakara's story. I do want to mention that we had some technical issues with bandwidth here, so some of the the audio is a little choppy and it was a little tough for us to do uh, because of some bandwidth issues, but it's still very uh, tight overall and I know that the engineering team will do everything they can to make it sound as good as we can for you, but just know that it's not up to our our usual standards and we're doing the very best we can. Hey, Awesomers, welcome back. It's me, Steve Simonson, and we're back again on the Awesomers.com podcast. And today I have a very special guest, Odakara Kletke. Odakara, Odakara, is that right? That's correct. Good job uh, pronouncing it. Thank you for having me here. It's lovely to be here. Ooh, it's uh, not only my pleasure, but I would like to mark another name down in the wind column uh, for me because I'm not that good at names. And uh, I feel like I got close enough for you to say that it's it's in the zone. So thank you for that. Um, so... Uh, Odakara, I want to just ask you uh, to, to tell us, even though I've just read in your bio and the, the audience kind of has a sense of who you are from the big picture, in your own words, maybe you could share kind of what you're doing day to day, what takes your time up uh, as we are speaking today. Um, I am a self-published author, self-publishing author, so that's my main, what I call my main work, uh, my main job. Um, I've also been homeschooling my daughter, so besides of actually like uh, 
being the authorpreneur, um, I also am a mom who is just homeschooling her 11-year-old daughter, and uh, we have an uh, unhealthy amount of pets almost. So there is a... <laughs> Uh, unhealthy <laughs> amount of pets. Now, I was going to draw the line at maybe five there, but I'm I'm wondering, is it plus or minus five? Well, we have five dogs. So Ooh. just the dogs alone, that's, there are five the dogs. dogs. Then we have, uh, you know, then we have things like three guinea pigs, a snake, two aquariums, a frog. Um, and outside we have, we have eight beehives and chickens. Wow, that is, uh, boy, you got a whole menagerie going there. Um, obviously, it sounds like it's something that's fun for you and maybe fun for your daughter, too. Is that, uh, it's a family affair, taking care of all the animals? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So The best way. So uh, we're going to dive a little bit into your, your background. And, and I love this idea. And that I haven't really actually heard that phrase very often, the authorpreneur, right? Because you're a self-published author, more than one book, and you've been able to do it just kind of learning the ropes as you go. And this is a classic way entrepreneurs learn. We just, we just do. Uh, can you just, before we kind of dive into your background, can you give me what the lightning strike was for your first book? What, what was the idea that hit you to do your first book? Um, I wanted to be an author. If you ask me when I was uh, five years old, what I want to be when I grow up, I would say an author and illustrator too. I always wanted to write books and illustrate for children. I don't illustrate now, just to be clear, but I do write. And so I always wanted to write. And that was going on through my probably entire elementary school. Then the puberty hit and then like the school and the peer pressure and everything. It's kind of went a little different. Like you almost forget your own dreams, it feels like. And uh, they always say you should do what you really loved. And, and I'm really fortunate and really grateful that, you know, when I was in my 30s and I kind of was like lost in my life, I always had the idea that I always wanted to write. And I was lucky that uh, once I got out of um, high school, I tried to go study journalism. I didn't manage to get in a university for that. But I did work a little bit in newspapers and I managed to get uh, this was back in Czech Republic where I'm from and I managed to become a TV reporter so I worked on a national television so it gave me some similarities that actually go along with being an author that's being able to deliver a story no matter whatever that story is whether you work in non-fiction fiction you have to have the capability of understanding how you deliver the story to your audience and I worked on a little like short documentary programs. So uh, I was, I had to learn how do you have within this certain time frame, how do you go from point A to the point B and how do you deliver it in a way that the audience is happy with that. But um, then later on I traveled because I was an incurable traveler and um, I ended up eventually in the United States and um, then I had my daughter and I stay at home with my daughter since I was 30. And so the dream of writing was always there. I never lost it, but it kind of went away and then it started fading and fading more. And in my thirties, I stayed at home, became the stay at home mom. And it was like so different from coming from, you know, Prague and being on TV and doing these things. And I move into middle of the Oregon, like, middle of the woods, beautiful nature, but no social existence, basically. And um, 
and especially being a mom of a young baby, you don't, you like really get stuffed in that life. And, and it's beautiful. It's beautiful to be a mother in motherhood, but in the same time, it's somewhat like it eats out a different part of you. And so when I was like crossing closer to my forties, um, I thought at a time that I'm no longer good enough in Czech in my original language to write a book and that English is not good enough yet. Like that because it's not my native language, because it was my second language, I didn't feel my vocabulary was good enough. My grammar was good enough. It still isn't. Um, and it just was like kind of going like there is like nothing until I hit that point when I was like, who cares? Like I have absolutely nothing to lose. And this was... I was like 39 and a half and I decided, I started writing my book um, at midnight between 2015 and 2016. It was very much, it was a midnight decision of the new year. I will write myself a book for my 40th birthday and I will cross in my 40s with something else. And I call it, I gave myself a permission to suck. I totally said like, I know that there is... You know, I didn't expect the book to be good. I did not, to be honest, people say like, I wrote a book to help those people. I wrote my book for myself. It was my present to my own 40th birthday. It was just that I will have that book one day. And I just said like, you know, who cares? It can suck. And I, I did it. I published the book. I didn't publish it on my birthday. Like I hoped we published it two weeks later. But I went through that process, like you said, like making every step and like literally like making the pushing the leg forward in the dark, but the moment you land, the light shows up and you start to learn the step where you're at. And I had no idea where I'm heading, but I knew like there is a way. I bought a course and there was a way. So like the course showed me the path what has to happen in order for me to have a book out. And so it took about seven months to publish the ebook version. Two more months it took me to get a paperback and another two months to get out the audio book. Um, of the same book. So at, at the first time it took longer. It definitely was the, the hardest book to produce on a production side, not necessarily maybe even the right. But yeah, right. Uh, but it was just it was there was a lot of learning steps throughout the course and somehow it got published and it got really successful. It really spoke to the audience. People loved it. So it was, it was a, almost kind of a surprise because I did not, you know, I was hoping everybody hopes, but I, I would say like my hopes were actually like, like overblown, like out of a ceiling. I did not expect the level of what happened, yeah, what happened was- next. And so it helped me and I sticked with books and I was just happy actually realized that there was two things that I always loved writing and I loved that making the information and bringing the information out. And um, the fact that English was my second language, I believe was on the end, it was an enormous benefit. It was the best thing that could have happened because I was able to take complicated subject and because my vocabulary isn't that big, I broke it down very simply for everyone. So it was very simple read for people. Um, which, you know, I was getting back, you know, like she does not have the perfect English, her language is not, you know, it's very simple, but at the same time, I was getting the other people who were going, this was so easy to read and so easy to understand and so easy to comprehend. So, um, so I actually believe it was, it was a huge benefit. And so I published the first book and I realized I not only laughed, uh, 
aspect of writing, but I actually have this like possessive need to, to be in charge of the name of the book, which if you go through traditional publishing, you're necessarily not. Uh, I love being in charge of my cover that nobody was gonna, like basically any kind of failure of in the process of formatting, it doesn't mean that I don't, you know, I still hire my formatters for a book, but it comes back to me. So if I okay it, it's my fault. Like I've learned to take basically responsibility for every single aspect, but having the responsibility also gives me the power. And so I love the fact that if I realized there would be a flaw or fault anywhere in a process, the only person I can blame was me. And I was just going to say, it's a classic way to, to overcome the, the objectives of, you know, a, you want to make all the decisions. And the only way to do that is to, you know, you're, you're calling all the shots. You get to say, yes, this is the title. Yes, this is the cover. But the risk is, yes, I'm self-publishing and I can only, I either succeed or I fail on my own. I like that. That's a great story. And I, I love all the layers in there about how you had to overcome and about how you're like, you know, at a certain point, I give myself permission to suck. If it doesn't work, who cares? I got nothing else uh, going at the moment. And I can imagine the culture shock going from Prague and, you know, being on TV and having journalistic deadlines to being a mom in the middle of the Oregon, you know, forest or whatever, uh, that, that, that culture shock must have been massive. So I, I can appreciate the differences. So uh, before we dive uh, into your uh, background a little bit more, uh, we're going to take a quick break and we're going to be right back after this. Catalyst 88 was developed to help entrepreneurs achieve their short and long-term goals in e-commerce markets by utilizing the power of shared entrepreneurial wisdom. Entrepreneurship is nothing if not lessons to be learned. Learn from others. Learn from us. I guarantee that we will learn from you. Visit Catalyst88.com because your success is our success. Hey, giddy up. You're listening to the Awesomers Podcast. Okay, we're back, everybody. Uh, Steve Simpson on the awesomers.com podcast, and I'm joined by Odakara Kletke. Yeah? Very good. All right, so yeah, I'm, I'm sticking, uh, sticking all right on the, uh, the naming. So uh, I like to dive in right from the very beginning. So you, you talked about Czech Republic earlier, but uh, where were you born precisely? Was it uh, in Prague or Czech Republic? No, I was born about 100 miles away from Prague, more close to Brno, which is the second biggest town. But I was born in a... Um, well, not born since I was two years old, basically. So my childhood that I remember, since I was two years old, I grew up in a little village there. So I was not a city. I, I grew not up in a house. No, no, not a big city. No, definitely a big city. I grew up in a small, small, small town of about, you know, like 600 people. Oh, that is small. That's for sure. Now, what kind of work did your parents do? Were they authors or entrepreneurs? What kind of work were they in? Well, at a time when I grew up, it was still Czechoslovakia and it was communism. So, the, um, you know, any kind of business within people, that was pretty much impossible. So um, my father was a musician. He was a violin player. He was quite a bit old when I was born. He was 54 years old. And uh, so he, his active career pretty much ended as I was, as I was growing up. And... Um, he had a great story as, as a musician, but uh, amazing, amazing life story. And my mom was, um, she actually had a, two universities. She had two PhDs. She was a agricultural engineer, like a doctor for plants, basically. So kind of a vet, but like in the same level of like of, for the plants. And uh, then uh, 
when my parents moved before I was born or while I was born, they moved to a place where she did not have a chance to apply her job. So she became a teacher and a professor. Yeah, that's a, a plant doctor. I like that. Uh, so uh, how about any siblings, any brothers or sisters growing up? I have a nine-year-older brother and 10-years-older sister. So I was kind of like, it was somewhere, and my parents were very good at like shoving us out the door. As soon as we hit high school, we were all in a boarding school, every one of us. So pretty much I grew up like pretty much without my siblings because they were so much older. And when, it, when they hit 14, they were out of the house, and so did I. So I more grew up by my more by myself than I would say necessarily as the youngest sibling in the family. Yeah, that's interesting. So, um, and particularly the, you know, the boarding experience starting at, at 14. Now, did you, after boarding school, did you go to university? I did very briefly. I went to study an information management in a college, but at that time I, it was, I was already 18. And so when I was 13, what happened to communism fail. And even my first book is basically about my health issues. I had a lot of health troubles growing up. And so I started getting myself out of it because I was very limited by my family and um, the doctors, what I was allowed to do or not allowed to do. And so, and that was the one part of the story. So I wanted to sort of rebel. I wanted to move. I wanted to, I was never allowed to do PE class because I could not be tired. Like I could not be exhausted. It was always like worried that like that could have a health issues if I got even like heavy panting. So there was a lot of activities I wasn't allowed to do, which brought me to read books. That's why I love books or at least one thing was a communism. There was nothing on TV. So I became voracious reader. And I was really lucky that I came from the family where you know, we had so many books along our walls that my mom, she used to call it that it's the best insulation that we just had a big bookshelves from the <laughs> bottom to the ceilings. And she said, at least she said, it's a North wall. It's too cold. We need all those books. And so, you know, I had an extremely huge amount of and quality literature. That was a whole other thing. My mom was a very good reader of what she loved. And so did my dad. He had a kind of a different taste but he had a great stuff to read as well and so I read a lot and then when I was 13 the communism failed and all of a sudden people were allowed to travel and because I was like so nurtured at home and had so many health issues the need of travel or moving or doing things that was always there and my parents even found me in a the preparatory school where I was boarded at to like find a good preparatory school where everybody would be looking after me so again I was even like controlled and I like just just wanted to get out and do things and rebel like it was that age and so when I hit 18 I started traveling and so I, when I went to college it was very hard to combine college when you have all those countries to travel to and there is the entire world and you can't kind of do everything so I managed to do two semesters and then I basically quit I was not coming back I realized that I was there studying under teachers who were making less money than I was while traveling abroad and doing basically nothing, just kind of like, just kind of just trying to here and there, so something, some opportunity, more of like moving. It wasn't like I had a steady job. It was more of like, oh, this I could use to make money there so I can buy my flight ticket. Nice. And uh, 
and I was always very, you know, I was a stingy person. I never spent money. I was very good at like hoarding everything because I wanted to travel. So everything was hoarded for flight tickets. And so I started traveling and I didn't want to really come back because um, when I was younger, I don't know, I don't think that program exists, but that was like that you could get a very cheap flight tickets. They were cheaper and they were almost free to exchange the day. And this was only possible for someone who was under 26 years old. So I knew I had a very limited time frame when I could do this relatively cheaply. And once I hit 26, so school would really hinder me. And so I left it and I was mostly traveling. I like it. Well, you know, uh, full disclosure, you made it one more semester than I did. So kudos to you on the two semesters. Uh, <laughs> now, um, how about, uh, you know, I don't know how long you travel or whatever, but what would you define as your first proper job? Maybe the first job after university or, you know, when you maybe you started settling in, was there any job that stood out in your mind as the proper first job? Well, what I consider my own personal, it's not really after, it was when I was in a, that was like, since I was like fifth grade, uh, I used to have the Iredal Terriers, the dogs, and we had a breeding station. So we, Brett and I went to shows and that dog needed to have a haircut. So but the breeding part, that was much more of my parents. But what I started since I was like fifth or sixth grade, I've learned how to cut the dog's hair. Yeah, for grooming. Sure. Nice. Grooming, dog grooming. And it was specifically for this breed. So it was very much breed specific. But because we had dogs that we bred, we had our puppies that would come back. So my first like really earned money came from my middle school age when I would actually have, and it was, it was a good job because it was, you know, you get, it's quite a lot of money to actually get your dog groomed. And they all actually loved that I was a kid. So they would like give me, the extra tips nice. as a child. So I actually did not need much, like one dog, you know, one or two dog a month would give me plenty of money as a, as a kid to kind of function on. And so that was my first, that was probably the first one that I consider like a job. And then after I um, quit the school, the truth is in my entire life, I was an employee for about five months. And that was just a few years ago when I was a waitress here in Oregon. So I, all my jobs, I used to uh, teach English. So I had private clients, but none of that I would necessarily consider like a big job. It was more of like solopreneur. I'm not, I'm not, I, ne I did never wanted to have any employees, but I always say as my brother and my sister, all three of us, we all say that we are unemployable. We just are not a good employee material. I like that. Yeah. So it sounds like your siblings also have that entrepreneurial, they don't want to be controlled. They want to kind of set their own course as well. Huh? Oh, very much. Yeah. That's very fascinating. Much. I'm nothing compared to them really. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's really interesting. Do you, how much, if any of this, do you think is related to the, the communism that was in the Czech Republic or Czechoslovakia at the time, as I recall, uh, would you think, was that a part of it? You know, did, or do you think it was just the parents or what drove you to this uh, sense that you want to be kind of free and, and uh, do what you want? I wish somebody would break it down. We talked about it with my brother and my sister and we have no idea because our pair, we grew up in a communism where they like groomed you to have a job. My parents, you know, my dad in a second world war, he was drafted and like incredibly put him in a forced working camp. And then when they find out that he was a musician and 
violin player, a Hitler, he loved musicians, he loved music. And they brought him basically with something that was like a concentration camp. And they brought him out to Five Star Hotel, where he was basically prisoner too, but till the rest of the war, he played for all the Nazi officers. It was extremely scary, but that was his skill that actually made him survive the war. Amazing. And it is, isn't it? And so then he was in like music later on in life. So like the music that saved his life and he stayed playing in orchestras and things. So he kind of, he followed, although he moved more, but my mom, like we got from them, but like, you have to have like one thing that you do really well and that you have a job. And uh, so I think my parents, they tried with us that we would have a job and, and be very stable. So I don't really know. We never know. Like I have no idea where did it went wrong. Maybe they tried too much. Maybe they just pushed it to the point that like we wanted to rebel. Like I wanted to rebel. My brother wanted to rebel. My sister wanted to rebel. None of us wanted what they actually were trying to push us. The one thing they always did, especially my mom, was the education. She always of education none of the three of ours you know not my brother not my sister not me nobody of us has university degree but my mom had two and so <laughs> i guess she got all of the family needed that it's an interesting question i was just curious how related that may be if at all it doesn't sound like it is uh but you know one of the things that you struck me as we started talking about is you know the idea that your parents could have been entrepreneurs was not possible really in the old days, right? Under communism, that's just not a thing that happens. And this is one of those things that I want, uh, you know, the Oscars out there listening to remember, we take for granted how flexible things are and how easy it is today. Even in communist places like China, you could still start companies, you could still make things happen. It's a much more entrepreneurial friendly world that we live in today. So uh, I, I love where we're headed here. Um, was there any defining moment that put you, you know, kind of from then to now, that put you on the road to becoming an author? Can you think of anything that, you know, you talked about earlier, you know, your birthday, it sounds like turning 40, that was a defining moment for you. Was there anything else that stood out in your mind? I just wanted to have something because I spent, like I said, like my entire 30s, I was mom at home and I did not, and maybe that really helped too because I did not, create it was hard uh, maybe if I was in a big city I would create some friends and some kind of a group but again like you said you have the uh, you have the culture shock where my culture was different than local culture and I never blamed it I lived in other countries I lived in Brazil I lived in, in Austria and I traveled a bunch of places around the world so I am I never hold against local people that they are not really trying to reach out to the foreigner it was never my thing but it was it was in a place where I live it was kind of hard to create any kind of like meaningful relationship it was not like at my house where you could just go to the neighbor and just have a cup of coffee and sit down it was just the culture was different and being in a little mountain town here it was you know basically there is not even any other race than Caucasian race there are few Mexicans with few Mexican restaurants but that's about as far as it comes to having anyone who's foreign so I just never developed any kind of deeper and it was it was kind of struggling at the time for me and so uh, I spent much more energy into researching and learning and educating myself and reading and then like going into the book and I created a uh, online community of other authors, of other people 
who were fantastic. And I realized I started connecting with people who were amazing from around the world. And they basically lived in this virtual space where I was writing. So all of my work like moved there. So I think that was it. It was like the combined pressure of being so long alone. Yeah, you kind of isolated and then you found the online world that uh, you're able to bridge some of those. You know, this is an important lesson for all the awesomers out there. Once you find your tribe, it, it, things get easier. And I think both men and women can appreciate your story of feeling isolated, you know, the, for any number of reasons. You don't even need the culture shock. There's all kinds of reasons where people could feel alone or isolated. But being able to kind of just one day just draw a line in the sand and say, you know what, I'm going to do something. I'm going to, I'm going to find my tribe. And today it's so much easier with the, you know, the online communities and Facebook and this and that. It's so much easier to find it. When you started finding the people online to communicate with and, you know, as an author and writing and so forth, was it something that resonated with you? Did, did it, you know, did you feel like you were, um, you know, more in touch with people at that point? Absolutely. Absolutely. For me, in a way, how, things were for me in my life absolutely it was before i was so lonely i mean i had a husband but he was working and then that evening he comes home he's tired he does not want to hear about whatever diapers or something yeah husbands are generally worthless anyway let me just say on behalf of all husbands out there uh, <laughs> so i understand uh, so but like give me an example of like in the forums uh is that how it worked were you guys doing forums or chats or how was it working well, there is a lot of author groups and uh, some Facebook author groups better than others. So I definitely was finding friends where we were going like, whatever, I'm dealing with this thing at this time. I don't know how to do it. How do you do it? And so I would keep myself just to see how people, because I was going through it for the first time in my life. And so I was sharing also my story and they were sharing their story and somehow it resonated with many people. And I started creating that and, and it felt really really good because the before the book i was just i just was seeing myself heading downhill that was like sort of the depression there was no more will that it felt like there was really nothing happening and in some ways i felt like i touched the bottom and i needed that in order to really want to because if i had some mediocre job i'm sure i would probably stick with it but i didn't so i had to go through this Absolutely no idea. Plus, again, like you come from another country, it didn't matter my education because my education would be like nothing. So basically here in the United States, I could only apply for the jobs I wouldn't even care for. And speaking that I've never, ever had a job before in my life. It did not like, you know, it, it was just like nothing. There was nothing. I, I did not see any other way out. And I just was looking like, what would be the thing that I can do at home and stay at home with my kid that I would love, that would be fun and would, would possibly bring me money or some sort of revenue. And so then I did a book. But I, like I said, the, the very first reasons for my book weren't necessarily financial. It did benefit me and the book did amazing and still does. But uh, it was not my goal. My goal definitely was not to start making big money. My goal was just to do something that I felt better about myself, that I wanted to do what I love to do and where, and that I would fit in in some sort of category of like a human being. And it was, it was finding these other authors. And I loved authors. I love the people who are around me. I love, you know, my narrator, the 
I work with the illustrator. I love the, the energy of co-creation where I'm going through the book and yes, I'm the final word, which is very nice to be in a final word, but I love finding people with talent and working with them and like bring the best and seeing their talent and see what the best I can bring out of the talent. And this brings you this co-creation of some sort of project brings you huge fulfillment. And I remember like whenever, when I launched my first book, when it came out, I was so overfilled with gratitude. I could not do anything, but just walk outside and just like put my hands up to the sky and just go, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Like the universe, you're amazing. I just could not feel more humble and appreciative. And the level of gratitude was not like gratitude. You, you just kind of remind yourself it was just going inside my veins and it was just bursting out. And and it became extremely addictive. This feeling of being able to co-create and create something that comes out and the gratitude level, it, it, is, it is like an addiction. Like it was something that I knew I wanted to experience again and I wanted to stick with it. But it's it's really the best and most healthy kind of addiction, right? To to create, to collaborate, and to be addicted to the idea of gratitude and the feeling of accomplishment. That that's a pretty good thing. Uh, you've you've talked about this process of building the book. Uh, when we come back from this next break, we're going to talk a little bit more in depth about how you launched your first book, some of the challenges you had to overcome, and some of the lessons for those folks out there. There's many people out there who want to write a book, and they they think to themselves, it'd be nice to do, and I kind of want to do it. Maybe even it's a dream of mine, but I don't know how to do it. So they're they're kind of paralyzed with the, the uncertainty of it all. So we're going to talk about that after this break. We'll be right back. Hey, Amazon Marketplace professionals, this is Parsimony ERP, and we get one question over and over. Can you please tell me exactly what Parsimony does? Well, we'll try, but this is only a 30-second spot, so we're going to have to hurry. Connect to your Seller Central account and pull all the new orders. Enter the orders with all customer data. Enter all of the Amazon fees and charges. Store them at the item level. Generate profit and loss reports at the SKU level. Automatically generate income statements. Handle multiple companies. Handle multiple brands. Handle multiple currencies. Facilitate budgets and forecasts. Store all customer interactions in a sophisticated CRM system. Manage your supply chain. Project and task management. Maintain an audit log. Hey, you get it. That's parsimony, P-A-R-S-I-M-O-N-Y.com, parsimony.com. We've got that. You're listening to the Awesomers Podcast. Okay, here we are. We're back again. It's Steve Simonson talking with Odakara Kletke, which is, you know, now now easy for me to say. Uh, I don't know how well I'm doing, but uh, I'm going to just push through. Um, and before the break, I teased this idea of, you know, your first book, you mentioned that it was a very arduous process. There's a lot of learning involved. And, and it took a long time, but still, I want to give kudos to you, still, you almost hit that deadline, right? If your birthday was kind of the deadline, your journalistic instincts and so forth, you were able to release the ebook just two weeks after your birthday. I'm going to call that on time. That's amazing, especially for your first book. Can you tell us a little bit more about the production lessons you had to learn? Self-discipline. That's the number one lesson. If you have the self-discipline to show up and be willing, you can do it. Anyone can do it. And that's the absolute hardest thing. The hardest thing is to show up. If you show up every single day, and that became my mantra, was like, no matter how long, it doesn't matter if I have, because I do have the bajillions of pets and a kid and a husband and a household and a lot of things that... Uh, Sometimes it becomes extremely hard. And unless there was a day that we would be traveling or it was absolutely impossible, that it would be to really try. With my first book, 
the best was that I actually started writing it in a way that I felt I was scared I'm not going to do it. I was scared I'm going to like tell everybody that I'm writing a book and then it won't happen because many times prior in my life, I started something like a book and never finished it. And so I had all these like startups and I know many writers who are not authors uh, who started something and I call them a closet writers because they have all this closet material they never release and a lot of times they don't finish. And so I never finished anything. And so I was afraid like in, there was something inside me that was telling me, you will finish this book. And I knew it, but at the same time, all the, you know, 25 years of experience of trying to write and finish something was not there, you know, so that was hard. So I actually started getting up super early before anyone in my family woke up and I started writing in hiding and I did wow. not tell anybody. And until I actually had my entire manuscript finished, I would get up every single day and I would get up so early and then I would write. And it actually took like, till my like daughter, she figured it out and then she told my husband, oh. I'm working on a book. But at that time, it was that I was actually past the writing stage. And that was really good. It was really good. Uh, I was given an advice not to ever look forward. So that was one of the best advice. Uh, if anybody wants to write a book is to A, do not write more than one book at a time. Do one. And if there is a stage that you're in, if you're writing a book, don't worry about marketing. I see it all the time. I see, and then I see these are the people who fail the most likely. Most people actually fail. It. When they start a book, most people will never finish it. Only like 1% of the people actually started doing and finished the book. And it's because, not because, but a lot of times I see it. I can see it in a person ahead of the time. Because if you're writing a book and you don't have the book, and this is my big advice to anyone who asks me, like, how did you do marketing? And what do you do about a cover? And I ask them, do you have the manuscript finished? And they go, no, I'm working on a manuscript. I'm like, don't bug me now. You don't have a book. Like, until you have a book, I'm happy to come. I will always help any author who comes to me with an, the question, I help anyone. I help lots of people, but whoever is writing, that's my thing. Like until you actually have at least draft draft finished and your book is finished, that's your job. You do not look, you don't go after anything else. And this is the biggest thing that I find distracting for a lot of people because they start writing and their head goes in the clouds and all of a sudden they start to think, Oh, and when I have this book, I'm going to go marketing. Shall I go on a book tour or <laughs> shall I do that? And their head gets lost and, the word where they have to sit down and show up, they don't show up no longer. Their head is in a cloud and they don't show up at the time in the morning or whatever the time is when they want to show up and they're supposed to write, then that's what they need to do. And so once they're finished writing, then it comes the production. And then there is more, you know, more things, more things to deal with at the same time. So then you actually are doing more things. But if somebody's writing, they just have to finish writing. Yeah, so just to kind of state that, uh, we had a little uh, glitch in our, uh, our giddy-up there uh, with the uh, bandwidth. But, you know, one of the key lessons that I heard you deliver was you have to take action, you have to show up, and get the book done before you start worrying about the cover and all the marketing nonsense, right? Because if you put the cart before the horse, nobody's going anywhere. And I think that's a very valuable lesson and a particularly salient point 
Uh, this goes for entrepreneurs of any kind. If you're writing a book, that's a very on-point message. But if you're developing a product, how about this? Pick the product before you start worrying about packaging and all the rest of it. You know, let, let's get one thing done at a time. Otherwise, uh, you described it well, you, you know, where you it just everything kind of blows up. I call that the mushroom cloud effect, right? Where you, it starts out in the, the, the center of it, it's kind of a small stem of the mushroom. But by the time you're at the top, it's just a giant problem and your head is cloudy. You don't know what to do. It's, it's a catastrophe. And these mushroom cloud problems, uh, all of us should do our very best to stay away from. So uh, I think very, very good advice there. Uh, how about, you know, once you started, once you got the book done and you started picking out the cover and things like that, did you find that, that you started to get momentum, that it, it, you know, it started to get a little easier? Or maybe with your next book, you, you're like, all the lessons learned, it got easier? How did you find it? So after writing the rough draft, between the rough draft and actually finished manuscript, there is the whole part of editing and beta reading. And so what happened to me is that I finished the rough draft, I sort of like self-edited it, and I took it to a critique group. And I told him, this is my first time I'm ever sharing anything in the public. Please be nice. And my very first critique was a guy who told me that I torment the English language and that I should not write and that it's absolutely horrible. And I was just stunned. I felt like I, it was like wind taken out of my, like I finished that manuscript and I was all in a cloud, like, like, okay, I have the whole manuscript finished for the book. And I realized I had nothing finished and, and that he hated it. And he was the first person I specifically asked to be named. And I asked the other ones and everybody just gave me this thing. And I felt like I was being skinned alive. And I was really lucky. There was an editor who was about 74. She told me, you know what? These are editorial mistakes. She actually has a good book together. I think it's a good book. I just think if she just needs an editor who's going to teach her, how do you do it? And so the the manuscript took me about 36 days to write. The first one, the rough draft. But then I spent four months with her going over like seven rounds of edit where she was like teaching me how do you put you know, materials together? How do you structure the book to be a good book? And, and so there was a lot of learning and there was a lot of beating I had to take. So <laughs> it was the most, the hardest part was by far, and it still always is, is the editing. I no longer take it personally. I no longer take it as my own beating. And obviously I'm better than I used to be because I practice. But the first time it was just, it was unbelievable. I was, I felt I was a skin alive and I had to regrow the new skin. And so when the four months later, after this, I'm five months into the book and I finally had a manuscript at that point, I know there is no way I was going to quit because I had that. And so I did not have much skills as far as like, Computer. I had never heard of like people telling me like you have to put a landing page. Like, what is a landing page? What is a lead magnet? I have no idea. And they're like, okay, you gotta build it there and there. And there is something like a Mailchimp, and it sends out a bunch of emails, and you gotta create your audience. And and I had absolutely no clue. I've never heard of any of that. So all of it was like there that I had to learn was not necessarily my skills or desire to learn, but I had that manuscript that I just poured my blood, sweat, and tears, and there was no way anyone was going to like something like learning some technical skills or hire somebody to do it was going to stop me at that point. And so it was not easy, especially the technical aspects. Um, 
to get things done and for me to learn. But at that point, the determination was there on a scale that I was absolutely sure that no matter what, the book will happen. So it was easier in that sense. I was no longer doubting that it will not happen. At that point, it was just like, how do I learn it? Do I need to hire somebody? Do I need to hire somebody to teach me how I do it for the future? And so all these things just had to fall. And I knew what task I had to do. I knew I had to format the book. Um, I knew I had to have the art cover done. And then I knew I have to assemble a launch team to launch the book. And I knew I had to do like some sort of marketing. So all that happened. And then it was a hard time to just basically launch the book because right before the launch, you realize that like you're basically asking everybody to write your review and <laughs> the world to see your book. So it was, it became very intimidating and sort of almost like depressing, like to make that leap to, to, to bring it out to the world. But when I did and I started to get all the reaction, the, the, the immediate reactions, I was just, that's when that gratitude came. And I just could not believe that like, that was actually the book that I produced. I love it. Well, you know, this, it doesn't really matter whether it's a book or a podcast or a product you're launching uh, or a new business service, all of these, the process and the, the challenges that will show up, it's all very similar, right? And we all have to find what is the process? How do we get from here to there? But it's the resolution in your mind where you're at that point, all of the, the guts and the, you know, the gut wrenching problems you had to go through and the, as you call it, the skin being torn off of you by, you know, your critique group, you know, all of that made you say, nothing is going to stop me now, right? That level of persistence and commitment was undeniable at that stage. And I think that's a point for awesomers out there is once you finally get over that tipping point that I'm going all in, I don't care if I fail, I'm jumping off the cliff, I don't know what's down below, but it's happening. That's both terrifying, but necessary at various times. And then when you actually get it to come together and you start getting some nice feedback or nice reviews or you know positive customer sales, whatever the case is, that's when it all feels really worthwhile. And it sounds like that's when that gratitude started uh, happening for you, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. When all that came together and I just realized that like since then the launching itself, it's, it is, it's almost addictive. Like I said, like it's just addictive to, to spend, especially if you're doing uh, work like I do where it actually, it literally takes me months to create that product that I bring out. And so it's not something that I do and I bring out next day. It's something that like I take that one book and I spend months working on it without anyone seeing it. Till I start having, you know, small beta groups now when I do like beta reading groups, which came later after my first book, after the second and third book and like getting the first feedback, but actually the finally launching and, and it's super exciting. It's super exciting times to see, to come to life. And uh, I love helping other authors. I went through launch with so many other people to just kind of like guide them through what they have to do, you know, when you have to pick up your categories on Amazon and how do you do all that things, like the whole technicalities. But basically I love seeing people when they bring their product out, like it lights my eyes. Yeah, yeah. I feed off of their energy. (laughs) Sure, yeah. It's like you're you're going through that first experience again in some ways, right? And uh, I, I definitely understand that. Um, you know, your first book uh, was called Hear Your Body Whisper. Is that right? Uh-huh. Yeah, cool. and that, that was a success really from the very beginning. It continues to be here years later. We're going to make sure that we have links to uh, any of your books uh, as well as 
uh, you have uh, something you do with your sister, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right? Right. And uh, finally, because I had a lot of times the authors telling me to do something. And uh, one of the things that um, I have to attribute the success of my books are the covers. I was throughout all the learning and everything I had to learn, I had one peaceful moment because my sister, she um, is in, she's been in advertising for 30 years and she's a really amazing uh, a graphic designer. And she worked for companies like, uh, she worked with like Young and Rubicam, which is one of the most uh, iconic, it's uh, one of the world's largest uh, um, advertisement agencies. And she had clients like Ikea for 20 years. And um, Ooh, that's a big boys. Yeah, she's working for for past 15 years for French television, TV5, that actually broadcasts all over Europe. So her work can be seen in 22 countries across the Europe. So she actually really understands what audience wants what and how do you bring it in a, in a cover. Because her advertisement is basically the graphic design that it's static. She's not specialist in like radio or TV. Her is actually like the print, the, the visual advertisement. And so all of my covers I've done under her supervision. Uh, and uh, so when a lot of authors were asking me, where was my success? Because the marketing was something that I was, I always said like my book was really good for me because it was really successful without me doing much. And I learned, it took me about six months to even learn the marketing that was on some sort of usable level. There was a lot of, flops in between and a lot of like mistaken and money spent badly and I think that sounds familiar to a lot of us <laughs> yes so it took about six months to actually like getting to the point where I actually realized that the marketing uh, I was handling in a level that was actually making me money nice. and so I was really lucky I had a book that did not need it didn't need it and this doesn't I realize it doesn't happen to many authors and so I was lucky this way. And so I started offering the service of like not making book covers, but actually doing a critique. And because I understand how critique can be destructive, what we do is we actually help authors if they come to us with their book cover or book cover or, or what is their book about. We either give them a creative idea and send them to some different um, graphic designer to do it because. Well, a, my sister does not have that much time. She's pretty much booked year ahead, all, all year ahead. And B, I don't think they could afford that. But what is, this is a really fun thing to take it and take the cover of sometimes maybe authors whose book are not selling or are just about to launch it and like actually show them where could be typography mistakes. Because with this modern age and everybody start of thinking that they can create things for themselves on their own a lot of times or getting some sort of, cheap graphic designer which a lot of times it's really just the person who bought a program so they like have the capability the computer has the capability but they don't have the the understanding and till recent history typography was art on its own which is basically how do you structure letters in a way that it will be hitting nicely and taken nicely in your brain and to understand that uh, the book cover is the advertisement for your book it is the book cover is nothing else but the advertisement and you need to look at it the authors need to see it as such it's not just like a lot of authors are unfortunately 
sort of going against themselves by not understanding that and going, okay, this is my idea or um, looking to other authors. But to me, if author looks to another author of an advice for a book cover, it's kind of as if you, I came to you to give me an advice how to build a house because you own a house. Yeah, that's right. You should go to the specialist. I'm a big believer in experts, and I, I think it's really neat that that you have this critiquing uh, service that you're able to help authors get out there and and have an objective point of view with probably with less brutality than some of your past critiques uh, may have been. Even though you need to give them the truth, you can do it instead of being brutally honest. You can just be honest and nice and and say, you know, hey, here's what needs to be done. So I really love that, and I think that you know there's a lot of authors out there who who maybe thought about, you know, can I write a book? And now you have proven, yes, you can write a book and that you could figure out and you could solve the problems. And there's help for you. There's Facebook groups. Uh, they may be able to find you online as well. Absolutely. And people are very, that, that's a nice thing about authors. I find that everybody's very helpful. And the other things we do with the critique, we don't only point out mistakes, actually. Uh, we a couple of times took something where the author, I had author coming to me almost in tears, practically going like, I just don't know, like this is completely screwed up. And the truth was, it wasn't. It was just like, she just did not have the direction how to solve it. And that's what makes it different. Like in our critique, we don't only we point out the mistakes, which is funny because the moment you point them out, I love that with my sister, like I might not see it right away, but once she actually showed me, it's impossible to not see it afterwards. You cannot not see it. You always see it. That From that moment on, it's there. And so you open up to the idea, but we also, if there is the mistake, we also say exactly what needs to be done to correctly correct it. And so there is a very easy path that we give the pathway, we give the recipe, get the book cover and uh, get the recipe and here is the book cover back with the recipe, how do you fix your problem? And we work with them like later on, if they bring it back, we'll say, okay, this is now it's finalized to the point where it should look like that. I love it. I definitely think that is a highly in-demand uh, service. Uh, I think this has been very instructive for me. I, you know, I have friends and uh, relatives who want to write a book. I'm going to make sure that they listen to this uh, podcast and take your advice. Uh, Odakara, thank you very much for taking the time to join us today. It's been very inspiring. Well, thank you very much for having me. It was, it's lovely. Thank you. It's absolutely lovely to be here. It's always nice to talk to fellow people with the entrepreneurial blood. Yeah, we love it. Well, I love entrepreneurs and we love creators. So uh, awesomers, uh, listen at home. We will be right back after this. Empowering. The name says it all. Connecting e-commerce entrepreneurs with great people, ideas, systems, and the services needed to stay business dynamic and to grow. Empowery is a network, a cooperative venture of tools and resources to make you better at what you do. Because we love what you do. We are you. Visit Empowery.com to learn more. You're listening to the Awesomers Podcast. As always, I'm a huge fan of origin stories, and it's just so tremendous to be able to hear somebody like Odakara come and talk to us about, you know, not just her own life, but even the life of her, her father, who was, you know, in a concentration camp, and then because he was a musician, went on to, to play for Nazi officers just as a matter of survival. And, and then growing up in Czechoslovakia, or the you know now called the Czech Republic, and under part of it being communist, and then later you know the the wall falling and and you know uh, communism going away, all of that stuff. I know the wall was in Germany, but that was a historic, uh, memorable time where all of that kind of set in motion. 
it's just an incredible story and I love a good origin story and she went on to write books in English and have those books do very well and it's because she, her message is so powerful and so important for each of us let's not forget you know we often talk about having the right mindset but let's not forget that our body is equally important there's no point in living a long life if we're not going to have it be a valuable fruitful and healthy life right there's just no point in trying to you know uh, aspire to have this this wonderful long life if we're miserable the whole time and I know we talk about this a lot, but I really want you guys to consider, you know, mind, body, soul, the whole package as part of what needs to be maintained in that very important, you know, unit that you have, uh, which is you, it's your health, it's your body, it's your, your soul and your spirit. All of these things are really important and too often entrepreneurs don't pay attention to that stuff. So I'm glad you were here to join us. I hope you got a lot out of today's episode. And don't forget, this was Osmers.com podcast episode number 61. And all you have to do is go on to Osmers.com slash 61 to find any of the show notes and details and links and things like that that we've discussed here today. Well, we've done it again, everybody. We have another episode of the Osmers podcast ready for the world. Thank you for joining us, and we hope that you've enjoyed our program today. Now's a good time to take a moment to subscribe, like, and share this podcast. Heck, you could even leave a, a review if you wanted. Awesomers around you will appreciate your help. It's only with your participation and sharing that we'll be able to achieve our goals. Our success is literally in your hands. Thank you again for joining us. We are at your service. Find out more about me, Steve Simonson, our guest, team, and all the other Awesomers involved at awesomers.com. Thank you again. Dot com.